Hi, my name is Leo WT, and you have found your way to the Conversations Podcast. Conversations exist to create spiritually-minded conversations about life. We desire to create safe space for dialogue and community. We desire to come together regularly and intentionally to generate conversations about life, belief, and the intersection of the two. Everyone is welcome at the conversation. Friends, how are you? It's Leo WT, and this is Conversations. So if you're new here, hi, hello, Friends, how are how you? how are you? It's well, Leo it's myself WT. talking. <laughs> if you're new here, hey, hi, hello, how are you? Uh, my name's Leo WT, and I would like to welcome you to Conversations, where we gather together regularly and intentionally to have spiritually-minded conversations about life, belief, and the intersection of the two. The most important part of that statement is that absolutely everybody's voice is welcome at the conversation. Also, a quick note, when I say spiritually minded, I'm not necessarily tying ourselves to religion, but I'm referring to the things that go beyond surface level conversation and really make us think about the what's and the why's and the how's of the world. So that's why we're here today. I have a really dope conversation lined up and I'm incredibly excited to get started, but I want to make a little bit of an acknowledgement first. For the first time, really, since I've been running conversations, we have two concurrent days running that are incredibly important in my mind. And so I want to make an acknowledgement of the one while we move on to discuss the other. So today is Indigenous Peoples Day, and we're going to be talking to my new friend Justin uh, about Indigenous Peoples Day, why it matters, why it means more than just semantics and... Um, you know, why Christopher Columbus was a jackass. Um, but also, today is also National Coming Out Day. And so I would be remiss to not mention that, um, you know, there are lots of people who find themselves stuck in the closet, um, having trouble to come out. And today is supposed to be a day to uh, encourage those people who can come out to come out and to encourage those people that are in the closet that they matter also. I think it's a salient point of conversation to realize that coming out is kind of a binary distinction that's forced upon queer people by colonization in large part. So I see this as honestly a perfectly intersectional conversation, uh, meaning that, uh, you know, white people kind of suck and they did a lot of crappy things to a lot of indigenous peoples uh, across the world and in America. And they forced artificial binaries that did not exist in a lot of indigenous cultures. So we will be celebrating National Coming Out Day. I do have a bunch of stories to share with you so from my lovely, fabulous, diverse, um, intersectional queer friends, and those will be forthcoming. But today, we're going to press pause on the National Coming Out Day conversation, and we're going to engage in a conversation about Indigenous Peoples Day. So that is my caveat and acknowledgement. Queers, I have not forgotten you, but I think perhaps this conversation might actually be kind of foundational to why we find ourselves needing to come out in the first place. So here we go. Um, as, as I said, I'm Leo WT. I'm a hairdresser, a professional queer, um, you know, consummate scholar of religion who just got out of a five-hour class on the intersections of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, um, and I like to talk and so I decide to have these conversations that I would love to have over coffee. I decide to publish them and put them out in the world. So that's me. Enough about me. I'm going to let my friend introduce himself. If you want to take it away, um, we can let the people know who you are. Hey, everybody. My name is Justin Schaap, and I am a Seneca Deer Clam citizen, and I'm living out here on Ohio, which is a beautiful river territory of the Onduwaka. And I'm really happy to be here talking to Leo. I do want to say that it's, you know, if it's coming out day two, it's, it's all about sharing and caring and getting 
uh, more conversations about, you know, multiple days. And, and I think we're going to be able to find a connection because uh, personally, I was unaware it's coming out day. But uh, so you've kind of given me that uh, inspiration. But as soon as you said it, I got a I got a connection that hit my mind. And, and uh, I'm ready to talk about not just indigenous people, but how do we connect indigenous people to your life and who who are indigenous people who were indigenous people and who are indigenous people going to be Ooh. oh talk about i don't even want to say anything else i just kind of want to put myself on mute and let you talk for the next hour if that's like all right <laughs> <laughs> well i i'm a talker too and uh so perfect I can talk for you know if you got you know 25 uh, years <laughs> i'd love to talk just a small amount of time, a nominal amount, if you will. Yeah. Let's, let's, <laughs> talk, let's talk about Indigenous Peoples Day because yeah, let's start there as our inroad, and then we'll we'll fly off. What is this day? Why do you? Why does everybody care about it? Is it? It's not even the. You know, we're we're calling it Indigenous People Day, but I think other people call it Columbus Day still, mm -hmm. uh, and in honor of uh, of a guy who kind of you know fumbled his way around and, and you know rode some boats. And, yep, but you know, I think uh, you know it's. I look at Columbus Day and I try to complicate it as much as possible, in that I try not to connect it to Indigenous Peoples Day. Does that make sense? <laughs> Even though they're on the same day. Yeah, totally uh, fair. So, uh, and I'll tell you why. When I was a young man, uh, I went down to uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and in my second day, they were tearing down a small statue of uh, DeSoto. Mm. It was a conquistador and he was the uh and it was a big deal because i just got down there and uh, we just protested here for about six months on new york state taxing our territory and we've mm. been an integral part of that protest and part of my impetus of moving down there was i got some legal trouble here so i moved <laughs> down there and uh to try to you know keep myself out of trouble right i couldn't stay away is like i said it was like the second day we were there and I found out about it. I just went right down there. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, I remember it, it took me a while to find out where it was. By the time I got down there, they had already kind of tore the statue down. And I just went over there and grabbed it and tried to yank it around on it. But uh, so uh, being, in that, being in that space was, uh, you know, my true active, active participation in trying to say, you know, here's this here's this conquistador philosophy here's this uh this stuff that's been hagiographied this stuff that's been really promoted for years as integral to the american experience when it really has nothing to do with it mm. it's just this myth and here we were able to uh tear that stuff down and i'm not going to say what year it is because i'll date myself but it was a, it was <laughs> plenty of years ago and uh so that kind of shaped you know, i was already an activist that kind of shaped like how do I perceive these uh, these kind of events, and how do we perceive the the, the indigenous peoples in relation to uh, you know people who are who are promoting perpetual colonization? Mm -hmm. So that's when I, when I look at Indigenous Peoples Day. Indigenous Peoples Day is saying that are we going to continue to perpetuate colonization in perpetuity, mm. or are we going to just make conscious decisions to say that we're going to start 
looking at indigenous contributions in meaningful ways that kind of tear down those you know colonial structures the systems in place it, it takes would action. You, yeah. would you be able to now this is something that i think would be really interesting for some folks because i know it's not necessarily in everybody's realm of conversation to um to discuss like indigenous and native american issues right but could you would you be able to like define for us like just on a foundational level for folks who might not know what we mean when we say indigenous peoples and why we say indigenous peoples uh, so i again i'm complicating these things because uh you know there's there's some deep deep uh academic theory theoretical stuff that we can get into I, mm -hmm. If you want to do the KISS method, just keep it short and simple. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just come right out with it and say uh, indigenous peoples are all around the world. There's just certain people who decide to move from their indigenous roots mm -hmm. and come to another location. Mm -hmm. They immigrated, they, they uh, you know, were forced, whatever those, whatever those uh, methods of uh, transportation, they decided to occupy, you know, land that, that was... Uh, you know, originally occupied by other people. Mm -hmm. And th so those people who were original, Aboriginal, Native American, Indigenous. But when you talk about Indigenous in North America, um, you're talking about, uh, you know, 592 different types of people, distinct mm -hmm. groups just in the United States, add another 300 across Canada, add another, uh, you know, 280 some across uh, Mexico in in the uh, uh, Central America, Mesoamerica, and mm -hmm. you have, you just have, you know, uh, uh, just a ton, ton, ton of people, just under a thousand different types of people uh, with all different kinds of cultures, and they may be similar language groups, but they have different practices, different, uh, just a ton of differences, and those, all those people would be considered uh, uh, indigenous to this kind of, however, if you have French background, you're indigenous, you're just indigenous to France. Mm -hmm. And then guess what? In France, it's not homogeneous either. So uh, in France, there's all different kinds of people. There's different kinds of cultures. It depends on what region of France. You could be from Vichy, France. You could be from uh, Paris, whatever. You have, you're going to have different kinds of cultures. You're going to have mm -hmm. different kinds of, kinds of uh, activities and perspectives and, and all of those have values. So let's just say, you know, you are from, uh, you know, uh, I like uh, Djibouti just because it's the most it's the funnest word to say because right? exactly just because <laughs> you are indigenous to that location and to to say that you're not uh you know doesn't make sense because if you clearly if you're from Djibouti you don't think that way you, you just have this uh this concept that you have a place you have a belonging and that's what we're talking about indigenous people that's really what they're saying is when we say indigenous people they're actually when we're make that claim we are saying that there's a homeland here mm -hmm. and indigenous peoples, uh, you know, specifically in my case, it'd be Onondawaka, you know, Seneca people have a homeland here mm -hmm. and that's what makes them indigenous. I heard this, well, I shouldn't say I heard this. I read this interesting like analogy today, right? And it was like this mom talking to a kid or some, something like that. It was the two people talking back and forth. And the person one goes, oh, did you know that, um, you know, Neil Armstrong discovered the moon? Oh, yeah. 
the kid's like, no, like the moon was there before. And then they're like, exactly. And I think that's kind of- They're like, hey, tell me about Christopher Columbus again. Tell me about- Exactly. And I think that's the contextualization that I want to give this conversation to is that, that, you know, like for, especially in our area, right? The Seneca people, this is their place. They're not, this is not, um, the white man came here right that was a thing like christopher columbus was not indigenous to this area nor moreover did he did it suddenly come into existence when he discovered it right but there were people here and like you said there are like almost almost a thousand people groups between canada united states and mexico because borders are fake um but there's almost a thousand people groups there right and they were all distinct peoples with distinct places and then people came in to colonize and occupy them yeah, and you know, to be to be uh, you know, what is uh, what is the thing that is that is Seneca and people like our own people wrestle with that all the time. We have we have these uh, you know pretty you know gaudy arguments about you know, where did we come from, what's our origins, what's our mm-hmm. what's our philosophy on these things, and and uh, but one thing that we can agree on is that. Uh, whether we're an amalgamation of, of different people, which we are, whether we're uh, a nation of of nations and, and different people that kind of have have uh, you know traversed a specific historical time frame over the last few hundred years, we can debate all that stuff. But what we don't debate is uh, you know the the homelands of the Seneca are in a specific area, and mm-hmm. and by the way, we don't necessarily we don't actually occupy those. Mm-hmm. We occupy the fringes of our homelands. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. So we've, we've actually gone through five different forced uh, ethnic cleansing practices. Mm. A lot of people don't understand that. So yeah. people, even our even our own people don't see that. They don't because, and, and the reason why, Leo, is because we teach Christopher Columbus mm-hmm. and we don't necessarily teach the hard history, the hard, the hard uh, stuff that, that really makes people kind of understand it. And, it, and it's, for me, I look at it and say, well, you know, it's, so, it's, it's one thing to just say, well, there's this innocuous term called, you know, white people or something like that. Like, I don't, I don't, I kind of steer away from that stuff because I go towards just straight naming it, which is settler colonialism. And, mm-hmm. and the practice of it, the, uh, the behavior is what we're trying to address because yeah. the people are good the people right. are nice i mean i mean these people all the time however they practice settled colonialism i'm like what well, you know i don't really what is this behavior that you're doing what if you were a kid and you ran up and just punched every single person if you were a five-year-old kid and you just punched every single person you know these kids right they just punch you right they're five uh you would probably see you would probably want that that kid to, to curb that kind of behavior yes <laughs> like, you wouldn't hate the kid though you'd be like you know this kid's kind of cool i actually got a nice punch but just <laughs> yeah you know, find another way to kind of steer that behavior and so that's what i try to do uh because far too often uh and and, and uh when we do talk about settler colonialism it's easier than to talk about indigenous peoples mm-hmm. because you're framing it you're getting that linguistics in there you're talking about uh you know hey settler colonialism has a specific frame in your mind 
Yeah. And if I can, would you mind fleshing that out for us? Uh, Cause like, I think I'm familiar with the phrase, but I would love to, like you said, just frame out the conversation, right? Yeah, it's Oregon trail, man. <laughs> right. You played, you played Oregon trail. Everybody. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, my age or younger, you play, you know, at least a little bit about Oregon. Trail. Absolutely. So it's, it's the, uh, it's the rugged individual. It's the manifest destiny. It's the, uh, it's all those things that you kind of learn and hopefully those things, those, those things are real. They actually happen. Right. Uh, the United States made very specific concerted efforts to, to continue to carry on the colonial traditions of the English and the French and the Portu Portuguese and the Spanish. Also, you know, China did this, Japan did it. It's, colonialism is not just specific to, you know, very, uh, you know, Eurocentric types of people. Uh, so, the the but the very specific colonial practice of settler colonialism is different so that's where you're supplanting and and, and replacing hmm. you know in a systematic way the original people that are here and you're starting to say well now i can assume this specific identity by erasure or or ethnic cleansing practices or or uh, invisibility tactics or just uh, perpetual colonization um if you're consistent, if you're saying, if you had to come in here and just rename everything, everything already had names. Right. And it's a misnomer to say that early colonists spoke English only, because that's a lie. The first colonists had to learn the indigenous languages first, almost to a T. They mm -hmm. learned indigenous language and they spoke because they wanted to be able to eat. <laughs> they wanted to be able to trade. Very valid. Right? Yeah, they wanted access. And so they spoke the indigenous languages or they had people who did who were there around them. And that was the language that was spoken. It was generally not any other languages were not spoken here. And it makes sense in your mind. Mm -hmm. so, and that's colonization, right? Is resource extraction, et cetera. Well, when you settle, then that's settler colonialism. That's when you're saying, I'm, I'm supplanting, I'm replacing mm. people that were here in a very systematic way. And uh, so you see this a little bit in, in Africa with, uh, you know, um, you know, specifically the Dutch, and you see, uh, um, I think Belgium does it, uh, and uh, and then you see this in like South Africa in particular, right? Yeah. So this idea of the Afrikaner, you know, the the idea of the person who's now lived there for two generations, now they get to claim settler rights. Right. I have these settler type rights to occupy this space. Uh, rights that weren't there or should shouldn't have been recognized but somehow there's this political status attached to it and it's the perpetuation of of these colonial practices that have uh, that started up in the um, 1400s 1300s 1200s that's an incredibly that's an incredibly pertinent point because I think a lot of times we say white people and in that we emphasize like Eurocentric behavior anyways, like we're the ones, we're the ones doing this. But this is a practice that happens all over the world. And it just so happens that um, in our particular context, right, with where we live, we're in a pretty small area between you and I, you know what I mean? Western, rural, Western New York, um, near Lake Erie, you know, um, we're talking about we are talking about in our context, European people coming over and, um, you know, like taking over native cultures here, but this does happen elsewhere in the world. Sure. Uh, and uh, I don't know, like, for example, right now, the colonizations occurring with China in West Africa in particular, okay. because they're, they're coming in, it, colonization is a resource extraction model. 
Mm-hmm. And so China is coming in there, partnering with the different um, you know, African nations along that coast in a similar pattern um, to extract stuff like uh, rare earth metals, et cetera. And they're, and they're, they're pumping a lot of money in there and, and expertise, but in exchange, they're doing this uh, resource extraction model where potentially it's out of balance for trade, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and then also the same is true, you know, across the, uh, across time, because I'll give you, I'll give you some, uh, some examples. When we talk about indigenous contributions, um, the almost, so, you know, I, I go to corn and I go to rubber mm-hmm. right? and I also go to like, uh, the cocoa bean, right? The, mm-hmm. you know, the coffee, right? This, this, uh, the coffee bean, the, that is a precious the staples, material. These staples of life that are today. Um, we find that they're all, hort- they're all horticulturally developed by indigenous peoples over time for very specific uses. So the plants itself over a period of time have been uh, horticulturally interacted with by indigenous peoples to create that specific uh, plant for mm-hmm. a very specific purpose. Corn is a prime example. So uh, I've watched plenty of movies where they're coming out of like Middle East and stuff. And they're like, oh, thanks for this corn. And they hold those ears of corn. I'm like, what is this? This is amazing. And little did they know that corn doesn't ex- didn't exist there until probably the you know, 1500s when right. they seeing all this massive extraction of foodstuffs um, ba- based on uh, people who are now inquiring. So I, I, I want to I go back to, because people always go in and say, well, you know, the contributions of um, extremely smart uh, European people are what drove this American experience, this this this, in, this enlightenment, right? That's yeah. the narrative that's told to everybody. Oh, you know, I, in political science, it's Kant, and and uh, it's Adam Smith for economists, it's uh, uh, Franklin for for uh, you know all this other crazy innovative stuff, and then like Thomas Jefferson. Yep. And, you know, I, I, the list goes on, right? All these. And the, and the list is almost always uh, um, European. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that they didn't write it down, but they were getting those ideas from someplace else. They were yes. being exposed to something. What was that they were being exposed to? Mm-hmm. And we see that today in real time, but back then there was no YouTube. There was no, you know, TikTok. You know, right. I, I watch some TikTok stuff and I see these dancers and I'm like, yeah, that looks cool. I'm going to go try that. Then I try it and I'm like, I'm terrible at it. Uh, but I'm being exposed to things that I haven't seen before and therefore it is intriguing to me. So if I'm a good writer, I would then go and take those things, you know, polish them up and create something and say, I'm, an, I'm a creator now. I created this. Mm-hmm. Did you really create it? I don't, I don't really believe so. I think what you did is you were able to capture it for your specific audience and produce it for them. Mm-hmm. Because other people already had it. And I'll give you an example. Democracy and freedoms and all the stuff that you guys talk about today. Yes. All that stuff existed here way before for millennia, for time immemorial, long, long time. Now, was it perfect? Probably not. About as less, probably more perfect than this current model that we're in. Uh, <laughs> and I, you know, we can have great conversations about that. But I hopefully you have to follow me because for some reason, and, and it comes to this story, a kind of similar story we were talking about. There's this, there's another story out there where this this uh, this guy says. 
he walks up to this Indian guy and he says, well, uh, tell me about the old days. And he, he talks about all these things like, uh, oh yeah, we used to go hunting all day and fishing and, 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 and then only the, only the European man thought he could improve upon that. What an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so, the it idea is that uh, you used to have all these freedoms, democracy, you know, you know, uh, uh, sustainable economies. You had all these things that were, that's what, that was prioritized. Mm-hmm. So being able to uh, exist within yourself, not overtax your environment, uh, live, live within your, your specific means, not to have things that are over uh, excessive amounts, not to, uh, you know, less focused in on uh, moral turpitudes and, and really odd things and more focused in on pleasurable experiences in community settings right mm-hmm. we had that we had that you know widespread so and, we're talking particularly in our area about what group of people uh where did that come from tangibly before it was you know like colonized well in, in our area well my experience is all Haudenosaunee, Iroquois and uh stuff so in in that very specific subset you have uh you know across the Haudenosaunee, you didn't have, you didn't have hunger, you didn't have poverty, you didn't have, you didn't have widespread crime, you didn't have, uh, you know, you were generally taken care of, you had your health, your wealth, your, your societal meaning, your role, your culture, all that stuff was specifically defined within you, and also you had massive amounts of freedom, uh, massive amounts of, uh, the ability to to move with your feet, the ability to express yourself. Everyone was given a chance to to talk. It was actually the, the you know, I don't want to say it's a utopian society, but it's you know it's it it has the idyllic uh, you know attitude. It does have some negatives in there. There are some things in there that are uh, that we can be critical of. Mm-hmm. However, the the critical nature of that is doesn't compare to anything that we're talking about for a lot of the other places around the world. Like every single society needs things to work on, yeah, to better themselves. And it's not my goal to sit there and say these are this, this is perfection or anything. Not even, not even close. But what I do say is that those things exist here. Yeah, that's the underlying idea. They weird. weren't they yeah. weren't just they didn't just pop out of thin air when yeah. when when old Chris came across the exactly. big Chris, pond. You know what Chris, I mean? Like they were here. Yeah, Chrissy and his cabal come running over and gave us all this stuff. He didn't give us anything. He didn't give us <laughs> land. He didn't give us democracy. He didn't give us freedom. He didn't give. As a matter of fact, uh, the exact opposite. So, in order for a lot of people to share and and really enjoy these things, a lot of people don't understand that other people had to be marginalized, put aside, you know, in, in and oftentimes in very harsh and. Uh, unapologetic and and uh, kind of what you were supposed to do during that era. And, mm-hmm. You know, again, it's not. A, I'm not trying to judge anybody today. Like that's not. I'm, I'm not a judgy guy. If you want, if you actually think that that was great, if you think that's awesome, I'm gonna look at you and be like, man, I, I, was, I don't know if I really want to hang out with you because you're that kind of uh, sociopathic. Yeah, I see you like you're missing some context clues here. Yeah. But back then, being a sociopath, being a being a a person who was really uh, into this stuff was, hey, that's just what you did. It was it was who you are. It was it, how you identified. Not for you everybody. Know, 
I talked to um, a couple months back. I talked to Mark Charles. I'm not sure if you've heard of him, but he's a, a Navajo um, yeah, president. citizen, right? What ran for president, stuff like that. And he talked a lot about the idea of uh, the doctrine of discovery and basically how like uh, Europeans were essentially imbued with the belief that God had given them the divine right to go and discover undiscovered lands. And I think there's an attitude of arrogance that came with that, as one would think if they truly were convinced that they were the messenger of God and the savior of the world. And I think that a lot of that arrogance is what kind of created the powder keg that was Christopher Columbus and that was this sort of westward expansion uh, in the way that people just let's, came in let's talk about it because the reason why the doctrine of discovery exists is historical in a, a couple key a couple key areas that then produced had all these other productions so uh you you know about Istanbul and Constantinople right I think mm -hmm. they might be giants wrote a song about it <laughs> you know that song yeah, but, yeah. Uh, so if you don't know about this history, I'm not going to bore you to tears about it. However, <laughs> uh, you know, Constantinople was the seat of power for the Roman, you know, Holy Roman Empire. It was massive. It, it controlled all this great stuff. It had a tremendous amount of influence. And they had walls that could not be, they were impenetrable. Been attacked, sieged like for 200 some odd years. And each time they rebuffed them and, and kind of came back. However, uh, through, um, I, I'm not really sure what the specifics were that kind of diminished the, the empire's role of the Holy Roman Empire. However, one thing is clear is that technology and other types of uh, new stuff kind of came into play and the will to uh, promote a new style of, and you just came from the religion class. Sure did. Uh, you know, a new, a new type of religion was on the rise in that area. And it produced this uh, fanatic push to kind of push out this other religion that was kind of pressing against each other. So this clash of cultures. And a lot of people have written about it. It's, it's not up to me to kind of, you know, tell about their tale. However, what that did is that affected the world because once Constantinople fell, it seemed like, you know, the European countries who, who observed that were like, well, what's going on? I can't actually go and attack because I don't have this anymore. Right. Uh, and I lost my access to the Caspians. I lost my access to the, these interior trade routes to, to the um, Siberia. And I don't want to trade with these, you know, these people anymore. So we're going to create these new things. And that's when you see uh, people shifting their focus from interior countries type stuff to try to go around. Uh, Africa and et cetera, and, and move out and start getting in these ships and start sailing around. And uh, that's when you see the Canary Islands get attacked. Uh, that's when you see full-scale colonization start to take hold across mm -hmm. places like Ireland, et cetera. So there's this, there's this ripple effect and it has, it has its core base in religion mm -hmm. and the attack on the principles of the Roman Empire, the, the Catholic Church itself could never be seen as being weak or, or whatever. So they go and they just go and say, we're just going to go around the world and pick on everybody but the people who actually did this other thing. 
Exactly. Like we've yeah. fallen, but we must save face. So instead of dealing with the issues, we're just gonna we're gonna run, but we're gonna we're gonna spin it, right? We're gonna yeah. spin it like this is what what good God's God, plan was. God will never let this happen to us. Nope. We're nope. Gonna, yeah, pass these papal bulls saying we're the greatest. Yep. And nobody was really paying attention to the papal bulls, by the way. Nobody no. really was. Nope. Except for people who wanted to have the colonial extraction model. They wanted to get access to, to slaves mm -hmm. because the, the, the fall of the, the fighting and all that stuff is really what disrupted the slave trade. So mm -hmm. keep in mind that Europe, Europe has tons of slaves at this area. It's in the, it's in the Catholic like dictums and stuff. It's, it's, it's quite odd. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just had this big talk about like, what are the big three sins of the United States? Well, they accepted all three big sins from their European counterparts. And that was slavery, and their specific choice was chattel slavery, which was brutal. Mm -hmm. It's the worst kind. And it included indigenous peoples. We'll talk about that. Indigenous peoples were for a, a long time were the, were the ones who were primarily enslaved. Mm -hmm. And then you had uh, um, uh, the second sin is, is uh, land theft. So you have this like, uh, hey, we're going we're gonna to take this land for some reason. And then the third sin is genocide. So they accepted all three of those things from their European counterparts and just said, hey, like father, like son, we're going to take these on and we're going we're gonna to do it better. We're going to do it American style. That's such and, a good, that's such, uh, it brings like a really crisp point to, to the conversation too, because those are very specific things, like you said, that, that are, they're intrinsic to American history. And so I have to laugh when I hear phrases like make America great again or something, um, because like we're talking, like great for who, when, why, and how, because we perpetually, we brought with us those three things. We did that, you know, we did that. Um, and it brings us to the point where we even have to have this conversation today because I mean, we're, we're in a world now where people don't know real history about what happened. It's been packaged in a certain way. It's been packaged in a Eurocentric way um, to the point where honestly, some people don't even know that native people still exist, right? Like that's a, that's a thing. And these, these sort of colonizer ways, these three big sins brought us to the point where we literally have to have this conversation because so many people are so unaware. Yeah, so I'll, I'll back to the earlier point of, you know, what is, you know, colonization, settler colonialism, and, and tie it into what you just talked about because mm -hmm. um, when we talk about uh, resource extraction, we're also talking about the extraction of ideas and the repackaging of those ideas as if they come from a very specific thing. And that's the story that's been, that's the story that's really done the most tremendous harm. So mm -hmm. it's not just about the theft of the land. When I talk about theft of land, I'm talking about theft of, of the corn, mm -hmm. theft of the tomato, theft of the uh, potato plant, theft mm -hmm. of, you know, all this other crazy stuff. And it's not, it's not assimilation. It's not like they took it and we're like, oh, well, you know, we got this stuff, but you know, it's not really ours, and so we're going to assimilate into our culture. No, they said, mine, ours. Yep. It's now ours. We now have it. It's our idea. We're going to package it. We're going to, we're going to do these things to it, and it's about a, possess a possessory model mm -hmm. of uh, colonialism that in this time, and then when you, when you start moving towards the industrial age, it just ramps right up, and now you need more people 
now you need more access to all these other things. And so you pull in all these people, you make these justifications and excuses to just bring people in. Now, so uh, I look at, uh, you know, what is the American experience generally? Is it the Oregon Trail, people going across the Oregon Trail? Or is it just them crossing a pond? Is it just them crossing a lake, a mm -hmm. big ocean? Is that the real tale? Because they want to tell the story of Oregon Trail. Right. But the real tale is people traverse vast amounts of bodies of water in ways in order to get here for the specific purpose of getting access to specific pieces of land and participate in the, in the big three sins. Mm -hmm. But they weren't couched as sins. They were seen as virtues at the time. Now we look back, only one thing is still not a sin. So one thing is looked at and is left there. And that's the perpetual occupation of land with no ties to the indigenous uh, occupancy, no ties to that homeland. So what difference, what nuance do you think that it adds to the conversation to look at that sort of de delineation between uh, Oregon Trail ideology and crossing the ocean, ocean ideology? Like, why is it important to draw that line in your head? Well, because we're talking about Columbus and indigenous peoples there. So Columbus, everybody is like, yeah, he crossed that ocean, but I'm the Oregon Trail person. Mm -hmm. And that's why I look at, that's why, you know, that's where I'm, a lot of people look at Columbus and I don't blame him because he's a genocidal man, right? However, he's the guy who crosses the ocean. Like he sets that trend. He's not Oregon Trail. Mm -hmm. He sets that trend. And within that trend is what the majority of people's, uh, you know, one, two, three, four generations ago or less, right? That's, that, was their, that was their story mm -hmm. or their current story in some kind of story. And that's the, that's the model. The Christopher Columbus is the model for uh, achieving, getting access to the big three. Now, mm -hmm. one thing, we don't do slavery anymore. Right. And we well, theoretically, we could argue the 13th Amendment, but... <laughs> well, yeah, I, I look at economic slavery. So I, there's another model here, and I, you know, we'll get all crazy, but, but I gave you a little text about it in an in a, in a email prior to this meeting, but... Yeah. So I connect all those big three historically to the current practices today, but that's a that's a five hour conversation that you probably it is. take my class. <laughs> <and do it. laughs> right. This is the plug. Take my class. <laughs> take my class. Take my class. Uh, you know, if you need to know, it'll be in the comments section. Right. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> yes. I, that's an that's an interesting <laughs> distinction though, because it does allow people to draw some separation or distancing that could perhaps allow people to sort of disavow how we got to where we are and why that part of the conversation is just as important. Right. So here's, here's part of my thing is to say, what is the indigenous people's perspective of how this is happening? Um, a lot of times it's, I call it a shallow perspective where you look at Columbus and just say genocidal media, easy, mm -hmm. A to B. And then a little bit more of a, of a, mid-level dive uh maybe uh you know go down with your snorkel go down without the air tanks go down in the water a little bit more and you look and see well the the real history the complications the um you know what's the real things that are motivating this individual uh, was it just christopher columbus is he just the scapegoat for these larger practices etc and then and all that's true as well so that's the next indigenous people's kind of perspective is hey 
you know, Christopher Columbus is, is the person who crosses the water. And then that's seen, and when you celebrate those things, that's seen as a way to say colonization's okay. That mm -hmm. perpetual colonization extraction model is good. It's seen as this value system. Mm -hmm. And it just people look at that and say, no, that's weird. What's going on? You're, you're basically saying I shouldn't exist. You're saying that right. I'm in, I'm, uh, I should be, uh, you're telling me that uh, genocide is still in play. Mm -hmm. That's not, you know, that's just, that's just the mid-level dive. Then we get down to the deep dive, deep culture of uh, old Chris, Chrissy Columbus guy. Uh, that's when you get uh, into this idea that uh, there's these uh, individuals who are being placed inside to act as representatives for this entire history, uh, which then erases the other conversations that were actually occurring. So uh, I, I talk about the, um, the Sepulveda versus uh, De La Casas, the, the idea of the uh, rights of natural humans uh, and those larger cons uh, conversations that were occurring. And those are conversations occurring in Europe Meanwhile, in indigenous people's perspectives, you can see different conversations where people are coming over and indigenous peoples were generally, you know, very uh, curious, enlightened, wanted to share, wanted to have these interactions with people in ways that in many ways were detrimental to them uh, because of people who, you know, who was actually being you know, attracted to come over with people who wanted wealth, et cetera. And so there's all these the travel narratives of, of, uh, like uh, Cortez and DeSoto and these other conquistador types, they're talking about entering these villages and people were just like, yeah, hey, what's going on? Right. And then they were like, oh yeah, give me all your, give me all your gold. And they were like, mm -hmm. what? come on, dude, you guys are weird. Like, what Yeah, like we're coming to this with two separate conversations. Like there's an assumed, yeah. there's almost an assumed good intent on the part of the people that are like being approached, right? And they're like, right. why do you want our yeah, gold? Yeah. Where people yeah. so Cortez is like, uh, and I, I'm fuzzy on, on a lot of the Mesoamerican stuff, so I get somebody wrong. It's okay. Uh, just correct me later in the comments. Sounds good. So uh, everybody goes, "Oh, Montezuma was an idiot. Why would he ever?" Because that was their culture, man. Their culture was to say, "Hey, how how are you? You know, what are you doing here? You're a visitor. You're a guest. You're someone who's exotic. You have these other things. Like, I want I want to understand who you are, and then." The Spaniards are like, ha ha ha, we tricked them. <laughs> that's not a, that's not a value, man. That's that's bonk. That's uh. That's, that's how I picture point. it too, to be honest, too. Like in my mind, it's like this horrible, like satirical cartoon. Like you know what I mean? Like they, like you said, people were just naturally curious and wanted to be hospitable, and then they're like, gotcha. Yeah, and we don't accept that today. We have this culture of uh, you know, in the United States, we have this this you know, a gun culture, a protectionism, and stuff like that. Well, why do we have that culture? Because we read these stories of these duplicitous, you know, people who were unscrupulous and untrustworthy, and we put them up on all these panels and we tell all these stories. And then we wonder why we have all these intrinsic uh, untrustworthiness among other people. That's so like, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I've never thought of that. Like, who doesn't want to act like, uh, you know, DeSoto and Cortez and just take whatever you want and, uh, and bugger off anybody who gets in your way or, or right. you know or slash them or, or trash them or do whatever it takes to get to, to get to the top. You know, there's a, you know, there's that saying like, um, 
history belongs to the victor right or like until the until the uh lion becomes the victor the tail will always belong to the hunter or whatever and you're totally right right because we're telling the stories from this perspective of you know this is how history happened this like conquering and of course then the negative space of that own thing is right right like you said that sort of touchy protective like gun culture right right so Which, now we if I were to show up and act like this Soto at your house, you'd be like, get out of my house, man. You are yeah. not to be trusted. You are. Yeah. And that's a fundamental cultural shift from how indigenous peoples in, you know, in the in the Americas like responded to people right. coming over. And I'll I'll take it one step further. Now indigenous peoples are punished for having that kind of perspective, an unwelcoming perspective mm -hmm. is seen as, oh, well, you're nasty. You've got something's wrong with you. And you see this not just with indigenous cultures. We see this with a lot of different cultures. We see this with different peoples. Just, yeah. If you have, if you have been under the knife, I, indigenous people don't necessarily have Stockholm syndrome. Let me just put it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, some, some do. Some have a, some understand it. And if you don't know what Stockholm syndrome, just look in the comments. We'll kind of describe it later. Ask the question. But if indigenous people, on a whole, generally don't suffer. You know, some it's a, I guess it's a degree, but the Stockholm syndrome is definitely not there where they're like, oh, I can't wait to get abused some more. I can't mm -hmm. wait for, you know, hey, let me help you be oppress me some more. Then we may mm -hmm. oppress our own selves and, and we right. have another conversation. But uh, indigenous people haven't taken on that moniker and said, well, and the re I think there's a real reason why, and because indigenous peoples aren't in the story. Mm. So because of the perpetual exclusion, because of the, and, and, and so I look at, you know, what's the future indigenous peoples is that's the, that's the insidious nature of settler colonialism is once you get to the, to, to, to the true inclusion model, once you get past what they're going to say is post-colonialism, mm -hmm. you're going to watch as the Stockholm syndrome starts to really take hold. And this, mm -hmm. I think it's because of, uh, of a, long-standing desire to not have to deal with the perpetual conflicts and also the the enormous the enormity of understanding you know what actually transpired and uh and then also trying to so indigenous people have to have to have to learn a couple different things right so at least now things are changing but for the longest time you've had to have two things you had to become the best at Western educational models, which is ridiculous. What, what the heck? Who came up with that? And I work in a school. So I, believe me, I look at it every day and I'm like, okay, I'm asking this student to become the best in Western indigenous stuff. Now, look at, I was like, yeah, I can't wait to become the best in Western stuff. And I knew what it was. And I was like, okay, I get this. But that meant that I couldn't be the best at indigenous-based stuff, right? I had to, there's a double burden there, right? Right. If you are the best at this, you know, you're probably not going to be the best at, you know, singing uh, your songs. And, and I'm, I, I wouldn't say that I'm the worst at it, but I'm definitely a mediocre <laughs> singer. <laughs> so if you're coming to me for like, hey, hey, Justin, how do you, uh, you know, sing me a round dance? And I'm just like, well, you know, I'm going to play, I'm going to turn on the song and then I'll try to mimic it, right? That's that's me trying to be my best now. 
Right, right. So there's, if you want to be the best at Western's style educational models that that America promotes, then you know, and then also you're going to have a longer path and more uh, more things to devote to understand, also understand uh, indigenous-based pathways. And that's, that could be pan-indigenous, you know, pan-Indian, meaning all kinds of people, or, you know, understanding your specific cultural ways, uh, mores, et cetera. And, yeah. And that's what, I, that's what the struggle is. That's what, that's what's actually great. And I, yeah, and I feel like part of the reason uh, in the he- in the headline for this, I didn't come up with something witty, which I should have done before my five-hour class. Um, but I, I wanted to, you know, I, I put in our headline, we'll be talking about why Indigenous Peoples Day is more than just a semantic change. Um, and I think that that's part of the issue is like, like you said at the beginning, and I had never thought about this before, but like you try to actually separate the idea of Columbus Day from Indigenous Peoples Day. And I think that there's sort of, there's sort of my own um, colonial, steep being steeped in colonialism in understanding like it's not just it's not just putting down or disavowing what columbus did but it's actually an actual celebration and a, a and understanding of the necessity that we have to learn what indigenous people have and do and who they are and their culture because if not that erasure is deadly because then the story just stops right so I ask people all the time and say, look, we're doing a, and this just doesn't have to do with Indigenous Peoples Day. It's just periodic conversations. And I'll say things like, well, you know, what, you know, who's your favorite Indigenous person outside of me? (laughs) Like, I obviously had spot number one, but. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm assuming I got a lot of fans out there because I asked this question and it might just be feeding my own ego. uh, Right, right. It's not, but I, I, the reason why I ask is because even myself, like growing up on a territory, like I knew all these indigenous peoples, but I didn't realize that they were, that they were supposed to be my heroes. Isn't that weird? Mm-hmm. So it took me, it took me until my teenage years when I started looking at activism perspectives, which I think what you were trying to get to. So a lot of people, and I don't try to discount that. If you look at Columbus Day and you say, I have an activist perspective, then you're going to look at it and say, I don't want to celebrate this. I want to celebrate indigenous peoples. And that's powerful. You're, you're saying, I want to be, I'm, I'm, I'm making a conscious choice to be this, uh, to not celebrate these things for, for various reasons. And there, there could be, and there could be more, it could grow the more you learn. And, and, but I look at it and say, how, how is it that a young person can grow up on, our, on a territory and not have indigenous heroes that are all around him mm-hmm. or them or her or you know whatever and but they are they when you think about it uh they actually are their heroes but we're told that these are your heroes we're nationalized to, to to uh, enforce specific heroes upon the body politic because that's how that's how the American society is organized. Mm-hmm. So you're going to know more about all these these people that you have no relationship with whatsoever, and they become your de facto heroes as you're growing up. Even people like Neil, Neil Armstrong and other times, 
I'm not trying to discount who they are or what they do. Right. What I'm trying to say is that that the connection to them is lost without having that American perspective, you know, assuming or oppressing the indigenous identities and, and uh, perspectives. So when I when I look at this, I say very clearly that you know, get you know, knowing an indigenous person doesn't mean they have to be your hero. Right. But there's plenty of examples out there right there in your own community. You don't have to even go to the history books. Right. They're all around. They're all over the place, and they're probably doing amazing things. And uh, you probably don't know about it. And, and again, it comes back to what I was talking about before. So there's indigenous peoples out there that are doing tremendous work within their cultures, mm-hmm. and a lot of people look at them and say, "Well, you know, they didn't graduate high school, or they didn't get a bachelor's degree, or they didn't mm-hmm. get such." And and I look at that and say, "Well, I I maybe I went out and got those things." But I got those things because I wanted to create space so that mm-hmm. they can focus in on culture. Mm-hmm. That, that's what we need more of in our, within our people. Knocking down the double burdens, knocking down the things that, that uh, uh, affect us. So why Indigenous Peoples Day? That's why understanding you know, what is it that Indigenous Peoples are going through right now without having to put indigenous peoples into the past. Now, if we want to talk about historical indigenous people, let's have that great conversation because I know a lot of them. And I challenge everyone to go and take, you know, I got a few books here. Uh, you know, a few of my heroes come from come from uh, history. And I'll start with uh, this one. So her name's uh, Zakala Sam, right? And otherwise known as Gertrude Bonin. But she wrote this uh, pretty nice uh, uh, kind of reader book. It is called American Indian Stories, Legends, and Other Writings. It's not really, it's not because uh, she wrote the book, but because she was a, a music teacher at the Carlisle Indian Industrial School. Hmm. And, you know, I don't know if you know about a lot about that school. It was a residential and a boarding school right there in PA, just south of us. Okay. Uh, on the, uh, just down by Harrisburg. Okay. They took native kids from all over the place all over the United States and they bust them there. And a lot of Seneca's went there and she was their music teacher for a bunch of years. And that's where uh, General Pratt was located. He's, he had a philosophy of save the, uh, kill the Indian, save the man. Yeah. And a lot of people have heard that saying, well, that's where, that's where that was coming from. And she was worked there. And so she's behind the scenes in this space, essentially saving these young people's mm-hmm. lives. Wow. teaching them how to be resilient and how to survive and then so and then she decides to take that show and offer it to as many uh non-natives as possible and writes the books for a non-native audience but a lot of a lot of natives read it today because they yeah. see the value so another person uh who even comes before that is a guy by the name uh, william apes right or apis he's a pequot guy mm-hmm. right there he is he writes a, a book called the son of the forest and if you're familiar with, uh, uh, I guess, books that are starting to come out from uh, people who like W.E.B. E. Du Bois, right? Mm-hmm. So it comes out with, uh, with his book. And then, so this is kind of those compilation books, right? Of course, he didn't, he didn't come up with, this, with a title. Some editor came up with a title. It's, it's fancy. And what he talks about is, hey, I'm a... I am a mixed race native and I'm trying to live my life as a Pequot. 
in uh, Massachusetts. And, you know, I'm trying to portray what it's actually like to move from uh, this idea of the perpetual savage mm -hmm. and then also work in this space uh, that's called, you know, America during his specific time period. Mm -hmm. Well-read, well-renowned, well one of the most popular books of this time. Somehow, in our time, it's forgotten. We, we just say, well, you know, we got, all these, we got these other classics. Right, right. Uh, which is odd because nobody read those other classics. They're reading this. Right. And you know they're reading it? Because some guy on the corner in New York City was standing up there with 300, 400 people who were illiterate. And he was uh -huh. telling them this story. And then people just be jam-packed and he was telling stories about natives. Oh, wow. Uh, so, and, and I'll go to another person. So, uh, George Manuel, he's uh, uh, pretty famous in our circles, but it's yeah. all about resource extraction. Okay. What he says is, he argues in this book, The Fourth World, uh, he talks about you know, what's actually happening, uh, and he's got the two-row wampum here, which I think is absolutely amazing, so this is global uh, stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, he's talking about what is, what is the political indigenous reality and how can we understand what that is? In, and we talk about the third world. We talk about the first world. We, I don't even know. Who's in the second world? I never found that out. Do you know? Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I will figure it out. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, South Korea. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's in there. There may be a few countries in there. But you got the first world. You got the north-south divide. And then uh, George Manuel comes out. Uh, and I believe it's in the 70s. And he talks about... Uh, you know, hey, yeah, 74. He comes out and says, hey, there's this fourth world. And nobody, nobody knows about it. Nobody talks about it. But here he creates this whole new political, uh, mm -hmm. political reality, this perspective that you know, subsistence economies, et cetera, those still have values. And, and the fourth world should be looked at as far mm -hmm. as you know, how can you stop extracting from them and start learning how to live within your means, how to reduce. If you want to have a capitalist society, fine, go ahead. But we are not black. everybody wants that. Make the choice. Why, who said that? How come I didn't have a vote, a vote every so many years? Like, yeah, we have votes here, I guess, but I don't know if yeah. capitalism or against it. But I guarantee you more people would say, hey, you know what? Uh, I kind of like the subsistence mm -hmm. economy model than, than the... Uh, you know, then this holy, uh, I'm going to get, I believe I'm going to get uh, hate, you know, Horatio Alger and make, uh, you know, $7 billion you know, right. next, you know, IPO drop for, for my coding uh, <laughs> Facebook app, right? <laughs> so, and then I'll, I'll get to another one. There's, so there's one that is, doesn't have a book. And she's actually one of my favorite ones uh, is uh, Jagol Sassan. And you don't know who this is good because she is kind of one of those hidden figures right. uh even in uh Haudenosaunee or Iroquoian stuff uh so Jagosa says a renowned for promulgating I think one of the greatest philosophies uh in the world and that is the philosophy of one dish and one spoon mm. so if you can boil any philosophy down to using Occam's razor to just one phrase you win and so yeah. she spends the the greatest of all she doesn't have a book she has one phrase and it's one dish one spoon 
And if you, I can, I can just say that over and over again, and you're gonna know what I'm talking about. That's how powerful this philosophy is, without even having to describe it. Uh, she's met by uh, during the peacemakers' journey for the formation of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, mm-hmm. and uh, so there's all these people uh, arguing and stuff. So they go, they go to her, and she's known as the mother of all nations because she takes these people, and and gives them those specific philosophies that allow them to establish the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. And mm. uh, so she sits them down and she has them eat from one dish and using one spoon. Mm. And when you have to do that, you realize that you're, you're in a shared model, not just for resources, right? You have a shared, you, everything to, that it takes to get to that point has been shared with you at that moment, at that point. And I think we don't do that enough. We do too many separation processes, right? Mm-hmm. So here's my dish, here's my spoon, here's my, my, my. Mm-hmm. And, and if you have to share, um, if you are forced for subsidence-based, uh, you know, for your specific livelihood, if you are forced to uh, encounter that, and a lot of, and I'm not saying that she's the only one who kind of comes with this stuff. I just think that that's our story, so I'm going to, Kind of give it to her. Give her the. Give her Absolutely. The props. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then uh, the the last one I'm going to go to is uh, this. These are actually just books that were you know over on my wife's. Uh, just casually. Just casually over there, and uh, it's Charles Eastman, and he writes a thing called Indian Boyhood. Now, here's where it gets complicated because Charles Alexander Eastman gets uh um he writes a pretty great narrative of you know what's it like because he he was actually an indian boy who lived in the in the uh, wilds with his parents for years and then was extracted and went to the boarding school process okay he came out and became a doctor and so he but then he he talks about that he talks about hey i, I had this i had this idyllic childhood and I was removed from it. And uh, I want to share that with everybody else. Now, <laughs> some people, there were already these, other, these larger societies out there called the Society of Red Men. I don't know if you're aware of this or not. The United States has this fascination with Indians. And it's all about appropriating them, as you're aware. Uh, right. right. Not necessarily appreciating so much, but appropriating it and becoming themselves. So you have this thing called the Society of Red Men. And it's across the East. And it's all these you know, fairly uh, pronounced dignitaries and, and smart guys and and, um, and they run around and they do these weird ceremonies and stuff. A lot of it's based, you know, on uh, some of the uh, Haudenosaunee and, and some of the five civilized tribes uh, practices. And they, they kind of, and that's where uh, you, some of this stuff kind of still exists. You just, you don't know it until, and we can, we can show it to you and maybe at a later date. But Eastman writes this thing, Ali, you boyhood. It's a huge, big hit. All these people kind of love it. And it's all the people who are in the society of Redmond, and they were like, well, I want my kid to experience this. So guess what gets formed? We get this thing called the Boy Scouts, and they, like, appropriate a lot of, a lot of this stuff. But it comes, from, it comes from this kind of stuff. It's not, it's not like, a, you know, it's indicative of what, people were reading at the time when they formed these things and i think a lot of times we forget that that yeah. uh, it comes back to the model again of 
hey, who's the natural man described by Kant? Who's the, mm -hmm. you know, what markets are they actually describing in, in Smith? They'll, they're describing what they're seeing, what's, what's the most relevant at the time, what's the most powerful thing, what's the thing that they're reading, what's the thing that's influencing them the most, and then they're uh, creating systems or organizations or other kind of practices that kind of mimic that in the best yeah. That's so interesting. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor and after this video, drop the names and authors in the comments, perhaps, so that people can um, look them up. I'll make sure to include them then in the uh, description box on YouTube and in the, in the show notes uh, and podcast form, too, so that folks can look up those um, those important works, because I really do. I'm beginning to see through this conversation uh, what you said in the beginning about you know, it, emphasizing indigenous people say as its own thing, right? And it's letting people have their own agency in the conversation and, and not, what'd you say? And get it wrong too, it's okay. Right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's just like, I'm, I'm yeah. really, I'm starting to see it like uh, a lot more now than uh, than I did before. So that makes total sense. Yeah. I have me, to- Hold on, wait. I want to make the final connection to uh, to coming out day. That's what I was just going to ask yeah. you. We're on the same train. All right, All right. I, I felt your, I felt your, uh, your brainwave vibes. Yes. Come my way. <laughs> so one, uh, I happen to, I go all over the place, and um, and I, when I was growing up, we, of course, we, this area had, and it still does, it had an anti-gay. Uh, um, you know, society. That, that's that's what this is. It's a culture that, you know, especially if you have like a biblical or any kind of other kind of religious background. There's this oh, Leviticus. Well, I don't even know what the thing is, but Leviticus, which brought up, you're like Leviticus, whatever. And you're like, hey, Leviticus, I got it right. And so the ideas uh, when I was younger, at least, was you know, hey, you had also you had these large national conversations. Uh, don't ask, don't tell was coming out and and these uh the political conversations so i went and said well what's what is it that's happening in the uh, indigenous uh country like what you know, what is it what is our practice and i was found out i was fascinated because it's actually one of the most diverse segments of uh of uh indigenous cultures and i'll try to find some of the works that's uh, been written about it, it it's fascinating and these works go all the way back to like 1800s, et cetera. And they talk about like two spirits and, and, uh, and uh, people who have very specific roles mm -hmm. in indigenous societies and cultures that without their roles, without these, these people, society didn't function. Mm -hmm. People, people, and they weren't just all, it wasn't based on uh, an idea of, which, which a lot of people do this reductionism Right. You know, take, it's all just based on sex or something like that. Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, the, 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 the goal, the purpose, the mores, the norms of these practices generally had nothing to do with any kind of sexual acts or, or right. genitalia or anything like that. So, yeah, it, and, and it was, uh, it was amazing. And now you see this in, uh, in practice through things like the powwow. So, we go to the powwows and they have specific 
actions where the men dress up like women and go out and dance the women's dances. And it's across all those different, it's not just the powers, the powers are just replicating what was already right. embedded in the cultures. Right. And all this, so all these different cultures had these practices. And then within the power, they brought them in there and said, hey, this is what we do here. Let's, let's do it. And they went out yeah. and did it. And, and they've been doing these things for a long time. So a lot of times these performative things, they're not necessarily uh, ways to come out because there, there isn't these large scale, you know, negatives associated with them. Right. Uh, people were just kind of free to be. Mm-hmm. And so I look at, you know, how is it that, and, and again, this might be a larger conversation as well. In my opinion, and it might not be academic, but I think you'll agree with me that uh, Americans have become more like Native Americans almost daily, right? Yeah. They become yeah. more progressive, even though we do have these conservative things, right? These, these uh, ideas that we need to hold on to these values or, or something like that. The reality is the more progressive understanding how do we how do we get along how do we get better how do we understand how do we progress as people i think that that's that's a perpetuation of the influence not only just of indigenous cultures but people bringing their indigenous cultures yeah into the american experience and saying i you know we don't necessarily tolerate this yeah you're saying and it's kind of funny because I, I see a lot of those trends, like uh, people like farming is trendy again. Um, and we're, we're into that and we're into, you know, subsisting off nature and we're into including the other and having um, cultural gatherings. And there's such an emphasis on coming together over a, over a meal. Like there are all of these things that we're doing that were perhaps uh, from you know from my outsider understanding, admittedly outsider understanding, but were were more facets of of indigenous and, and native cultures, right? right? And we're like in true Eurocentric colonialist fashion, we're like, look what we did, and you guys are over here like, bro, we did this so long ago. Yeah. Like, maybe yeah. you shouldn't yeah. have just killed I, us, and we could have shared this. That's right. I, I kind of like, uh, and don't get me wrong, again. You know, our we are definitely not perfect. We do adopt and and adapt, and we do even myself. uh, You know, have things to work on. I am on my own journey. I I need work every day. I need to look and read and see different perspectives every single day. And I that's my goal. And and I do and I I encounter something. I say, you know, wow, why did I do that thing? Why was this part of my you know identity structure? What was that about? And I immediately try to jettison it, but then I, I, it takes time to kind of move it away. Yeah. But, so I agree with you. So some point, there's going to, here's what's going to flip. At some point, the American progressive is going to be so far out there that even the indigenous people are going to be like, wow, what happened? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, what I'm trying to say is hopefully one day and, and we will look back and probably be, we probably won't be here. Maybe, maybe you will. I probably won't be here. But, We'll look and say, hey, there, there was these times where we had these weird practices of coming out. And it does, and so the binaries will go away. We won't have good, evil nonsense. We'll just have a spectrum of understanding amongst each other and, and 
a movement towards a reality where, you know, as people grow and learn, they get to be themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, there's going to be boundaries, right? Yeah. But what those boundaries will, they won't be based on some antiquated thing that bonk you over that. Exactly. <laughs> These objects of, of antiquity. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. But I love that idea. Um, I have been, I didn't disclose this to you previously, but I'm currently, you know, I'm taking uh, my master's of arts and religious studies uh, oh, with my right. concentration in interreligious studies. And I have my eye on a PhD in queer theology. Uh, queer theology is an offshoot of queer theory, which is the idea that binaries are man-made and they're artificial in, in overall senses, <laughs> detrimental. And so when you start talking about the dissolution of the binary, you got me over here going like, my heart is racing. I'm starting to sweat yeah. a little bit. Well, you like, let's, let's just change gears because I, so I, a lot of people think that I just work just on indigenous stuff and, and to be fair to them, I do talk a lot about it. Most, and it's not because it's identity politics for me. Mm -hmm. I think it's because that's something that I found interested in. When I, I went to a friend, a friend of mine house, uh, his mom had a book on her shelf and I was like, I think I was like 11 years old and she pulled it and I looked at it and I was like, what's that book? And she pulled it off and she handed it to me. And I knew the book because it was in my mom's house. It was at, at our house but I never had the courage to pull it off the shelf. And she pulled it off and, and gave it to me and said, read it, it was much too dense for me. It was way too hard. It was American Indians, American Justice by Vine Deloria. <laughs> but I remember reading the introductory pack, pack, uh, paragraphs and just being like, what is going on in this book? Like, what is this thing? And I had the book in my book pack and I put it in my backpack and I said, I'll, I'll bring it back to you. And she says, don't worry about it. And I said, I'm, but I'm not that way. So I always bring it back. And I went down to my uncle's house and at my uncle's house, he, I went up there and we weren't allowed in my uncle's room, but this time I was, and we went in there and he had this poster on the wall and it said, Custer died for your sins. And it was a poster of Vine Deloria's book, ah. book, right? And I said, I, go, I just got one of his books and here it is. And he was like, ah. And he goes, he goes, Custer didn't die for your sins. Custer died for sins. And he, he crossed out the four. <laughs> Custer died for sins. Uh, but so uh, that was my introduction. That's, that's the path I take. But I, I, uh, I'm not a one-trick pony. And I wrote a, uh, I think, you know, after kind of taking the stuff that I learn about all the time. And I wrote a, a nice piece. And I'd like to probably share it with you. It's called the the uh, hypocrisy of incremental inclusion Ooh. and it's all about uh it's all about the act up movement right the movement called act up i don't know if you're familiar with this and i am yeah so and how you know how, how and why it takes you know specific overt acts from a pretty large even statistically uh enormously large segment of the population right mm -hmm. yeah so i'd like to share that with you if i could i would be yeah i would be so interested to read that i'm that guy that's like your dissertation topic sounds good can i like read it and people are like who are you and where do you come from <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well yeah so it was uh it was actually an independent study that i did in undergrad that probably should have went on to to uh move into like a PhD thing, but I, yeah. I, 
I uh, ended up going to become an activist and fighting police officers. <laughs> Someone's got to do it, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Listen, you got to do it from time to time. Yeah. Well, Justin, I cannot thank you enough for your time and your energy and your insight. I know, um, especially as a student myself, I know that it's not, um, it's not, an easy process to acquire knowledge and it's not it's even less easy to be able to take these big ideas that we talk about in the petri dish of the institution and to kind of bring them out into the world and so i thank you for your ability to synthesize an incredibly large amount of stuff um, for us today i couldn't i could not be more appreciate appreciative so well, thanks for having me on it's a, absolutely it's a so say someone was really interested in you they're like that guy I want to get to know him more. Um, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Uh, is there a way for people to get a hold of you, your work, any sort of things that you want to leave us with? Uh, well, I don't really do, uh, it's not like I don't do social media. Yeah. Uh, I just, I try to do those things like for myself and for yeah, my, absolutely. Uh, entertainment style. If you want to get a hold of me, uh, you know, I, you can usually find me on the lacrosse field. <laughs> all right <laughs> or hopefully not as an opponent because i will check right. <laughs> uh, but uh you can uh you can always drop me a line and i will put that in the chat uh all and right. i i have to plug the uh class i'll be teaching at st bonaventure university this spring uh i believe it's the introductory class for for indigenous studies yes and so if you are at st bonaventure if you want to take a class i don't know how that works just, just enroll just just show up do it up. <laughs> I'll do roll call. And if you want to do the work, you know, I'll, I'll grade you. I don't care. All right. Perfect. And then if, um, if people also, if people want, if you want to get a hold of Justin, you can shoot me a message too. Um, and I will make that happen for you as well. So that way we can preserve our personal, uh, or our public private, uh, segregation there, but also make, make way if people want to get in touch with you. So I thank you so much for your time and energy and everybody who's watched. Um, there's been a solid amount of people viewing this off and on. And so I thank you all for your time and attention too. Uh, I would ask a couple quick favors if you could if you could go to conversationsofficials.com scroll down to the bottom all of our social media contacts are on there so you can find our links there if you could subscribe on youtube subscribe to the podcast and uh, perhaps check out my patreon um, i am attempting to do conversations in a more official capacity and the only way that i can do that is with you folks help so if you can check out my patreon there's a way for you to make a small monthly contribution that would help to literally keep the lights on in this place uh, and perhaps Perhaps maybe like feed me in my sleepless quest to make the world a better place without any sleep for the rest of my life. Uh, but if you could give any sort of like, follow, comment, share to Conversations Official on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, any of that, it'd be super, super appreciated. Thank you, Justin, for your time. Thank you, watchers, for your time. And we will back, be back here next week with more intersectional conversations about life, belief, and uh, everything in between. Have a great night, everybody. Bye. This has been the Conversations Podcast. Thank you so much for joining. If you have any questions or comments or just want to get involved, feel free to join the conversation on social media. You can find us at Conversations Official on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please don't forget to rate, follow, and share this podcast. We're available on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for joining the conversation.